Our scripture for this morning comes from Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 9 through 17. So we're going to read that now. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's pray one more time. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word. We pray that you would bless the preaching of your word, that it would not go out void, that it would return what you desire it to return, Lord. We ask you to be with Rick as he brings this message this morning, and we just pray that your spirit would move in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. A uh, quick little public service announcement or commercial. Uh, we've, uh, we've been growing and pretty steadily, and praise God for that. And part of the growing, on the, it's been substantially on the children's side. So there's like the next generation is already around, which is praise God for that. Uh, and what we're needing to do, and we're going to do, just, and I'm telling this so that you know what's happening. So in a few weeks, we got some projects, some work projects here in the building. We're trying to get some space freed up, opened up, established to make more classroom space because we want to break up the classrooms, make them a little bit smaller, a little bit more manageable, uh, not, not so big, not, not so many children, and not so much uh, in terms of age. And part of that means we need some additional teachers. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you like to help us out in teaching some little ones, whether it's a four-year-old or a fourth grader or whatever, please let us know. We definitely go, we can't just throw them in a room, even if the room is nice and ready for them. And that might be bad. That might not go well, you know fire marshal might show up and buildings on fire and and then someone has to clean up the goldfish after that all right so anyway all right good morning if you haven't done so already please turn to the book of romans uh, we're going to jump right in and if you don't have a bible the verses will be on the screen if you don't own a bible that's what these are for they're not pew bibles uh, they're there as gifts to be given to anyone who just doesn't have a copy, and there you go, that's for you. Uh, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8, so Romans is in the New Testament, it's right after the book of Acts, right before 1 Corinthians. Romans chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 9, we're going to hopefully, depending on time, try to get to verse 17 or somewhere near, near that. And the reason that we're looking at Romans chapter 8 is because it gives us a lot of insight into something that we really, really, really got to know. And that's the series that we're in. Last week we started a series entitled, I Know. And there are some things, the point of this series is that there are some things that are really important 
for us to know. Like, there's a lot of stuff that we can know that's good to know, but there's some stuff, and one thing in particular that's way more important, that's really worthy of our knowing. Of all the things that you can and should know, there is one thing that you really, really need to know, and that is whether you know for true that you are in right relationship with God. That of all things, that's really what matters most. Do you know that you are in right relationship with God? So if you are married, does it make any difference in your day whether or not you are in right relationship with your spouse that day or that week? And everybody's smiling because you know, you know how true that is. Because if she ain't happy, <laughs> right? It matters. It makes a big difference. If in your marriage there's a lot of conflict or tension versus grace and understanding, it makes a profound difference in your day. It's not just at home. I mean, you carry the badness or the goodness into the rest of your day to work or wherever you're going. Correct? How about uh, children? And we're all children. Ultimately, does it make any difference as children whether or not we are in right relationship with our parents? It does. It is, a prof it is profound. The difference, whether it's a good relationship or a not good or bad relationship. Uh, there, and there may be some in this room. You've grown up in, in an abusive home or with an alcoholic. Or with a, or a parent that was just dismissive and neglectful and absentee and just didn't show any love or care or attention. I and mean, we know that that adversely affects a child and, and impacts their, their life into adulthood, correct? And how much better it is if that child knows that they are loved, that their parents love them and cherish them and help them. It makes a difference. Do you work? Are you an employee? Does it make any difference whether or not you have a good relationship with your boss? It does. It does, because if your relationship with your boss isn't that good, you're walking on very insecure ground. One little miscommunication, one little argument, and you might get laid off. On the other side, you got a good relationship with your boss, you might get the raise a little bit quicker. You might get the promotion a little bit quicker, right? So it makes a difference. Having the right relationship with your spouse makes a difference. Having a, a good relationship with your parent makes a difference. Having the right relationship with your boss makes a difference. Well, if that is true, how much more true is it of our relationship with God? It's so much more important to have that relationship with, with the Lord himself. Yes, I want Janie. To extend grace to me, for I need it. But above that, more importantly, I need for God to extend grace to me. Yes, if I'm a child, I want to experience the love of my parents. But more importantly is that there is a heavenly father that I know and that I'm receiving love from him. And yes... If you're working, if I'm out there somewhere and I've got a boss, absolutely. I want a secure relationship with my boss. But how much more important is it to have a secure relationship with he who is the boss of the universe? 
You know, that boss who literally time and space, heaven and earth, life and death are in the palm of his hand. How much more important is that? It's way more important because I don't want to live in fear of judgment. And, you know, when talking about God, it's not so much getting a raise or a promotion, but at some point I do want to be raised and promoted up to heaven. And so we, we started this series because we want everyone to know that they are in right relationship with God. I have a friend, a guy that I just started discipling when he was in high school, discipled him through college, graduated college, and he became a missionary and just got back from a two-year mission trip to Senegal, West Africa, where all the Ebola is happening over there. Just got back a few months ago. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I sat down with him. We had lunch just catching up, and I was wanting to know all about his trip and all of this. And in the conversation, it led to his ministry work while he's there, and, and it led into a conversation about Islam because Senegal is primarily an Islamic nation. So we started talking about that, and, and he started sharing about the Muslim faith, faith, the Islamic faith. And he shared that in Islam, you can never, ever know that you're going to paradise. It is impossible to know, at least according to the Senegalese version of Islam. It is impossible to know whether or not you will get to enter what they, would, what they call paradise. So that's why they pray. I think it's five times a day. It might be seven. I'm not even sure. Right? They pray multiple times a day, and they go to the mosque, and there's all this religion. There's all this tradition. There's all this ritual, and it's constant, and they can't stop it. And they're just trying to get to a place where maybe they can nudge God just enough for him to be merciful toward them. And it's so unsure. They're so unsure about whether they get to paradise or not. This blew my mind. I didn't know this that they can't even say with any certainty that Muhammad is in paradise. And if you don't know much about their faith, that Muhammad is the prophet. Like, he is pretty much the centerpiece of their religion. He is the prophet Muhammad. And they say, we, can't, we don't know. He probably is, but we don't know that he's in paradise. Because God arbitrarily decides in that moment whether or not to let you into heaven or not. No security. So people live in constant fear. That's why they're praying all the time. That's why you have the jihadists and those four. They're willing to do like 9-11 disasters and stuff like that. They're trying to get God to say, look what I was willing to do for you. And even that doesn't guarantee anything according to their faith. Fortunately, folks, fortunately, we don't serve Allah. We don't serve a God like Allah. Fortunately, the true and the living God is not a capricious or a fickle God. The real and only God is a God of grace. You know, the scripture, it tells us that he is merciful and that he is gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in loving kindness and faithfulness. And that, yes, he is holy. He hates sin he detests it. He cannot. He will not abide in it. He will not let it abide. He will judge it. And all of that is true. But, but him being a gracious God made a way, a way for us to be pardoned and forgiven through the cross. And this is all that we sang about this morning. Through the cross, the sacrifice of Jesus, the shed blood of Christ, we can know that we are forgiven. 
we can know that we are in right relationship with God. That's what the cross is. The, the gospel is God making his grace and love known to the world so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but receive eternal life. The stuff we talked about last week. So that we may know that we are in right relationship with God. So that's why we're doing this series. We want everyone to walk out of here with a bit of swag in their step, spiritual swag. We want everyone to walk around with the hope, the joy, the peace, the confidence that can only come from having assurance that God is on your side, that God is near to you. We want everyone to walk out of this series saying, I know God loves me. I know I am forgiven. I know God is close and taking care of me. And I know that when my days on earth come to an end, my days in heaven will begin. I know. Does that sound like a good thing to know? Yes. Praise God. So let's get into our text. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says this, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. I'll stop right there for now. The Apostle Paul is writing, and he addresses these words to you. And so the question is, who is the you in there? And the you is referring to believers. The you is referring to those who are, in fact, in right relationship with God. So then the question is, how do you know if you are a you? So how do you know that you are a you? And verse 9 tells us the answer. You know that you are one of the you's. If you are in the spirit rather than in the flesh. You know that you're one of the yous if you are in the spirit rather than in the flesh. What does it mean to be in the flesh? It means that you are bound to sin. That you are fastened. You are fastened to sin. Sin is anything and everything that is contrary or in opposition to God's holiness, to his character, to his glory, and to his purposes. That's what sin is. Anything and everything that is in opposition to God's holiness, character, glory, and purposes. That's what sin is. Sin is godlessness. You've heard that word before? Godless. Godlessness. Sin just means trying to live godlessly as if there is no God. I have no regard for God. I want to live my life less God. Godlessly. See what I did there? So that's what it means to live godlessly without regard to God. Total neglect of his character, his holiness, his glory, and his purposes. And so to be in the flesh is to be bound to that. Um, hopefully this makes sense. If you're, if you're in the flesh, sin is your, your modus operandi. It's your mode of thinking. It's your method of living. It is, it is the criteria by which you make your decisions live your life. It is your perspective. So you're bound to it. You can't see it any other way. You're wrapped in it. It cocoons you in such a way, if that is in fact you. So a person who's in the flesh thinks worldly rather than godly. A person who's in the flesh thinks selfishly rather than godly. A person who's in the flesh thinks uh, inwardly, me, as opposed to upwardly, as opposed to godwardly. Does that make sense? That in the flesh, it's just you're bound to it, you're tied to it, you're anchored 
to, to sin. It has a, a power over the individual. It has a dominion over the person. It's, it's part of being who we are if we are, in fact, in the flesh. And it doesn't mean that everything we do is bad, evil, wrong. It doesn't mean we can't do something good. Like, anyone can do anything good, so it has nothing to do with that. It just means that what is done is not done in regard to the glory of God, the holiness of God, the purposes of God, and the holiness, glory, purpose, mission of God. Capiche? All right, that's what it means to be in the flesh. Now, what does it mean to be in the spirit? The spirit here refers to the Holy Spirit, so the third member of the Trinity. You have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, verse 2, just a few verses before, it actually refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of life. There are a lot of names that are given to the Holy Spirit in Scripture. That's one of them, the Spirit of life. In verse 9, the Holy Spirit is referred to as Spirit, Spirit of Christ, Spirit of God. It's very Trinitarian language that is happening here just in these few verses. And just so that you know, um, Later, well, next year, not later this year, but actually next year, late spring into early summer, we're going to do a series here specifically on the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Uh, I think it's a topic that's often misunderstood or neglected and can get kind of squirrely, and so we want to protect against that, and so we're going to take some time next year and just camp out there. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do for us, etc.? So, just a little teaser there, like a little trailer, like an Avengers. What's the next Avengers one? Like, this is bigger than the Avengers, right? So there you go. Uh, to be in the Spirit means no longer being under the power or the dominion or, or the condemnation of sin. It means that a person has been set free, that those chains have been lost. The chains are gone. They're, they're no longer there. In, uh, in just those first few verses of Romans 8, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So there refers to the law of the Spirit, which is to say grace. It's just another way of saying grace, the, the law of grace. So the, the person who is in the Spirit, that's what we're trying to define. What does it mean to be in the Spirit? The person who is in the Spirit is a person who is in the grace of God, which is to say the same thing as it's a person who is in Christ. There are synonymous phrases, synonymous terms, in the Spirit, in the grace of God, in Christ Jesus, the same thing. And the way that we receive this, so how do I know that I am in the Spirit? How do I know that I'm in, in the grace of God? How do I know that I'm in Christ? It's faith. And that just so does not get old to me. Folks, it's just, it's simple faith, but it's an active faith, right? I, I, I always like to define it. It's not simply believing in something. It's believing in something so much that you give your life over to it. It's really more faithfulness. It's what scripture, how Scripture defines it. So it's simply casting yourself into the arms of God, giving your life over to Him. And, and in that moment, what happens is that you receive grace, and you are then, at that moment, you're in the know. You are in the Spirit. You are in Christ. Now, how do you know that you are one of those youths? How do you know, because he's talking about 
you who are in the Spirit, as opposed to the flesh, well, how do you know that you are one of those that are in the Spirit? Verse 9. Same verse there, second part of it, or middle part of it. You, however, are not in the flesh, but if, but are in the Spirit, and it says, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. I, I think this is so cool. The way that you know that you are in the Spirit is if, the Spirit is in you. It's what he's saying. How do you know that you are, in fact, in the grace of God? It's because the grace of God is in you. How do you know that you are in Christ? Because Christ is in you. How simple that is. How beautiful that is. Um, you know, like the, the gospel is stunning, and I, I do not tire of it. I love it with all my heart. It is this proclamation and this, this heralding of this good news of the love and the grace of God. The reason that I know that he loves me is because of the gospel. The reason I can love him is because of the gospel, right? What a beautiful story it is. And, and I think, however, that we often do it an injustice in how we present it. You know, we receive forgiveness for all of our sin, all of our shortcomings, we receive it all through this good news of Jesus Christ. But, folks, that's not all. Like, sometimes we just stop there as if it's just about being forgiven. And, and then, then we'll, we'll kind of take another step, and it's like, well, and we get to go to heaven. And, and heaven is going to be beyond belief. It, the, the bliss and the beauty of heaven the pearly gates and the, the streets of gold and whatever it actually will look like. I don't know, but it's going to be beautiful. And, and it's like, so I'm forgiven and I get to go to heaven and praise God. But you know what? That's not what makes the gospel so stunning. What makes the gospel stunning is that we get God. You know, Scripture refers to him as our portion, our lot, our inheritance. That what makes this good news of Christ so compelling so attractive so appealing what makes it so right and so good is that through it god is not simply offering salvation he's offering himself to us he's giving himself to us first corinthians chapter 3 verse 16 says do you not know that you are god's temple and that god's spirit dwells in you the moment that you place your faith in christ god not only comes near, but he brings to bear his presence upon you in such a way that it, it resides inside of you. The, the word is he comes to dwell, indwell. He makes permanent residence inside your being. He fastens himself to you. That's stunning. You know what that means? I walk every day, wherever it is I'm going, whatever it is I'm doing. God isn't like next to me. He's all up in exactly what I'm doing. When I go through a trial or problem, his wisdom is right there with me in like going through it. His love, his grace is right there stride for stride with me. Is that not stunning? It's amazing to me. 
This gift of God himself dwelling inside. So, all right, we want everyone to know that they're in right relationship with God. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that you must know that you are in the Spirit. Okay, what does that mean? Well, that means that, that you must know that the Spirit of God, God himself, is in you, dwelling inside of you, and that's all good. And what in the world does all that mean? And it's, it's particularly important that we get an answer to this question. Do you know that you're in right relationship with God? Do you know that you are in the Spirit? Do you know that the Spirit is in you? It's important for us to know the answer to that question accurately and truthfully. And the reason why is because of the last part of verse 9, which says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. See, there's only two types of people on the planet. Those who belong to the world and those who belong to Christ. That's it. There's only two types of folks. Those who belong to Christ, those who belong to the world. Those who belong to the world are those who are in the flesh. So under the power, the dominion, under the, the tyranny of the consequences of our sin, those are people who belong to the world. And praise God, he made a way for us to no longer belong to that, but for us to belong to that which is far infinitely greater and superior. He made a way for us to belong to Jesus, who is God himself. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, For the Son of Man, referring to Jesus, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. How? By giving his life as a ransom for many. So here is God himself leads the comforts and the bliss, the perfection, the glory of heaven comes down to earth to serve us. And how did he serve us? By dying for us, by shedding his blood. And in so doing, he ransomed us out. You get what that word means? You're ransomed out. You are bought out of something. You are purchased out, purchased out of sin, bought out of death ransomed out of it, he lays down his life to do, to do so. Why? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you, referring to believers, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own what? Possession. And, and I, this is one of my favorite verses in Scripture because it, it, it helps just tie it all together. The master's master plan ever since before creation was that there would be a people set aside for his glory, for his purposes, a people to enjoy and to be enjoyed by him. So everything that he has been after is a people that belong to him, that he loves, who love him back. It's Jeremiah 31, 33, which in there, there's just a phrase. It says, God is speaking. He says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. It's all about belonging. So, how do you know you're in right relationship with, with God? All right, well, it means I got to know I'm in the Spirit. Well, how do I know I'm in the Spirit? Well, I got to know that the Spirit's in me. How do I know that the Spirit's in me? Well, I got to know that I belong to Jesus. We'll just keep working our way through this so it all makes sense. I'm not kicking the can purposely. <laughs> so, the way we know we belong to Jesus is through baptism. All right, let's look at verses 10 and 11 here in Romans 8. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, so it's saying that even if you are a follower of Jesus and you've been forgiven, you're still going to die. 
because of the consequences of the fall, okay? So, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. The spirit is life because of righteousness. So, those who place their faith in the Lord, they receive the righteousness of Christ. The spirit of God brings life. So, even though we may die, we're still going to live. That's what he's saying. And then, why or, or how, how, how does the spirit do this? How do, how do we know this is going to happen? Verse 11 if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So what in the world do those verses have to do with baptism? It goes something like this. Romans, 10, Romans 8, those two verses, 10 and 11, are referring to one day followers of Jesus will be raised from the dead. It's not referring to a zombie apocalypse. Nothing bad like that. It's referring to something good. So it's a reference to what is referred to as the resurrection of saints or believers. There is a day when Jesus returns when those who have placed their faith in him will literally be raised from the grave and their soul, which is in heaven, will be reunited with their reconstituted physical body and they will receive a body just like Jesus received when he was raised from the dead. A, a, what the Bible calls a glorified, imperishable, incorruptible body. If I, I've probably used this example before, but I just think of this body that we're going to get. Like you will be able to walk onto I-40, get hit by a Mack truck, and dust it off, right? And the Mack truck is done. Like that's what I'm like, it's going to be a sweet ride <laughs> that we get whenever that happens. So it's going to be neat. But it's, it, at the end of the day, it's, it's the kind of body that's going to allow us to be within the, in the presence of God. We get eyes by which to see God face to face, right? To hang out with the Lord and say it, serve him from all eternity. It's, it's going to be nice. So we're going to receive that resurrection body. And the reason that we're going to receive that resurrection body is through, it's because those of us who are followers of Christ, because we have been baptized. And I'm not referring to water baptism. I'm referring to spiritual baptism. At the moment that a per person is converted or they, they place their faith in Christ, that very moment, something supernatural happens. And that person is baptized, in, you know, the Spirit baptizes them into the crucifixion, so the death, into the tomb, the, the death of Jesus, and into his resurrection. Spiritually speaking, you get baptized into the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So if we're followed Jesus and we're forgiven already, should we keep on sinning? By no means, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So there is... Some, a work of God at the moment of faith where we are baptized, we are immersed into the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. 
Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. For as many as you were baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. Uh, to be baptized into Christ means that you are joined, you're united, you are incorporated into the person of Jesus Christ. You are fastened to him. You are knit to him. It becomes a covenant, an unbreakable covenant that happens there. What happens when we're baptized into Christ is that our sins are nailed to the cross. And that flesh that we're walking in is buried with Christ. And spiritually, we are raised up with him so that it is through baptism we're united in such a way that we, that's where we belong to him. That's when we get united to him in such a way that now we are his possession. That we're his. It is through that baptism that happens there. Now, on November 2nd, we announced this a little earlier. We're going to have, Lord willing, some baptisms that take place here on Sunday morning. And we're going to do water baptisms uh, at that point. And the purpose of baptizing someone with water uh, is fourfold. I'll just summarize it with four different things. First, it symbolizes the spiritual baptism that has already taken place. So the water baptism is just like an external sign of an already inward reality. There's something that's already taking place in the heart of that person. What I'm really saying is that simply dunking a person means nothing. It, in and of itself, it doesn't do anything other than you're wet and you got to go change clothes. So in and of itself, it doesn't do anything, but it represents something that has already taken place in the heart of that individual. All right, that's one. Secondly, it's what I was just talking about a while ago. Water baptism is a picture of the gospel. So you think of the gospel, you think Jesus is on the cross, he dies, he's buried, and then he comes up out of the tomb, right? This is what being baptized is. And the word baptized in the Greek means baptizo, or it's baptizo, which means to be immersed. So this is, this is why the preferred mode of, of baptism is immersion. So to be immersed. So when you go under, what happens if I leave you under? You drown. You die. Okay, represents death. You come up, just like G it represents Jesus being raised from the dead. So it's a picture of the gospel right there. So that's number one, number one and two. Number three, water baptism is a public profession of faith. It really is the coming out party. It's what it's supposed to be. It's an initiation right into the life of the church. Uh, baptism is something that we do to profess publicly I belong to Jesus, and he belongs to me. I'm with him. Like, I'm a follower. It's a way of, of showing our commitment to the Lord. And number four, water baptism is about obedience. Um, I dare say that being baptized is the easiest thing Jesus will ever ask us to do, unless you have a phobia of water. And even then, there's no excuse because my mom, Miss Juanita, she used to have a massive phobia of water. At the beach, she wouldn't put her toes in the waves. And one day, she got saved, and it was time to be baptized. And I think I was around 13, and I was on the front row, me and my sister. And the pastor took her back. I she was hating it, dreading it. Arms flailing, legs kicking it was a gallagher show we were soaked in water on the front row all right so if she can do it show enough the rest of us 
Anyway, so if you are a follower of Christ, if you've made a profession that he's your Lord and Savior, but you've never followed that up post your faith in him, I asked it afterwards, you stop by the info table and sign up. If you're not sure, if you're ready, if you're not sure, if you're a candidate, if you're not sure if you had a baptism back in the day, if it worked or if it was right, just sign up and we'll begin a conversation. You know, so just signing up doesn't beholden you. You have to, on November 2nd, you have to get done. Uh, but we'll begin a conversation and if, if, if that works out, great, cool. We've got at least one. So I'm looking forward to that. So that's a big old party. So uh, anyway, sign up for that. Please, please, please. All right. So again, let me put all this together. And, and the reason I mentioned the baptism is because we're talking about the baptism that takes place in the spirit. The, the, real, the real baptism, the one that ultimately matters. So let me put that all together. I want us to know that we are in right relationship with God. That means you got to know that you're in the spirit. That means you got to know that the spirit's in you. Well, that means you got to know that you belong to Jesus, and that means that you got to know that you've been baptized or united, incorporated into Jesus himself. Does that all make sense? Does that sound good? I'm still left with the same question. How do you know? That's all nice theology, right? I'm trying to teach some theology 301 through all this and explain some biblical terminology but at the end of the day i'm kind of left with the same thing like what does that mean practically in my life how in the world do i know and praise god he doesn't just leave us out there to wonder so verses 12 and 13 so then brothers we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh for if you live according to the flesh you will die but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There are three markers by which you can know that you're in right relationship with God. The one, first one's what we really mainly talked about last week, and that is that you have heard, you have understood, you've personally come to know and embrace the gospel. That's marker number one. Have you made the decision decided, decidedly and definitively that you are a follower of Christ. Have you heard it and given yourself up to it? Have you made the choice? That's number one. Number two is what this verse is getting to. The second marker is that there is a movement in your life toward Christ-likeness. Like, there can be no assurance of, of me being converted to be a follower of Jesus if there's no evidence of convertedness in my daily life. And the evidence of me having been converted is that there's this ever-changing lifestyle. You know, it doesn't happen once. It's not like you go from desperate, wicked sinner, I found Jesus, perfect. No, I'm desperate, wicked, thank you, Jesus, come here, Jesus. And there's just a bit of a step in a couple of places, maybe, hopefully. But then it's just the rest of your life, like trying to grow in Christ's likeness, trying to, to grow in sanctification, purity perfection growing over time like here's here's god he's holy i'm not and over time striving toward that right so there's a constant thing that's going on the tense in verse 13 is interesting put to death it's present tense and in, in what the greek means in that tense is that it's an ongoing activity it's not a once and for all kind of a thing that you are to constantly daily it's your daily duty to always be putting to death or mortifying 
the sins of the body or just sin in period. So every day you look for sinful thoughts to execute. And you execute them. And every day you're looking for sinful thoughts in your mind and you're looking to exterminating. You're, you're looking for sinful words in your vocabulary and you're looking to eradicate it. That there's this constant motion and movement in your life toward maturity in the faith. How do you know that you are in right relationship with God? Got to know that you're in the spirit. How do you know that? Well, I got to know that the spirit's in me. Well, how do I know that? It means that I got to know that I belong to Jesus. How do I belong to Jesus? I've been baptized in Jesus. How do I know that I have been baptized into the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ? My life is changing. Slowly but surely, my life the content of my thoughts, my, the, my, my behavior is becoming more like Jesus. Uh, I'm going to try to be careful here, and if, if I lose you, ask me afterwards. Um, and I hope I said this, so I struggle to try to figure out how to explain this without messing anyone up. The primary and the essential characteristic of true Christian spirituality is ethical in nature. I wrote that down because I don't think I can say that again. The primary and the essential element of true Christian spirituality is ethical in nature. I'm going to try to explain it this way. The way that we know that we're a Christian is not through mountaintop spiritual experiences. It's not through mountain-moving displays of gifts, you know, gifts of the Spirit. It's not through those things. It is not through signs and wonders. God can do all of that. Praise God, there are these moments where we're on a mountain peak. I enjoy them. We do know that God manifests himself in certain ways in certain times, and there's gifts, and there, that we know this. So I'm not displaying I'm not talking against it. I'm just saying that it, it is not the primary means by which we know whether God is at work in our lives or through our lives. Or it's not the primary means by which we know that we, are, that we belong to him. The primary way for us to know that we belong to Christ, that we've been baptized into him, the primary way of knowing, of having true spirituality is in my daily conduct. It's ethical. It's an ethical thing. I'm going to explain that a little bit more here. It is through my, through my daily obedience to the word. I know that I'm right relationship with God if I'm growing as I read the Bible and it's changing my heart and my attitude changes, my behavior changes, my thoughts change. That's how I know. And that's how scripture presents it. Make me walk in your ways. Matthew chapter 7, and I read these verses last week. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Scariest words in the Bible. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. Obedience? Right? Of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Signs, wonders. 
mystical, magical experiences. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And I fear that there are folks that just simply rely on those kinds of experiences in their life or around their life to try to validate their belief that they're in right relationship with God. When all it is is simple obedience, Jesus himself says it right there. Those who do the will of my Father, those who are being conformed to Christ, those who are displaying the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So a person can come up to me and say, you know what, I'm, uh, I'm casting out demons. But if they're not showing people grace, I, that, what good is that? I'm, uh, I'm doing this such and such a miracle, or, or I, I found this pinnacle, and I'm like, great, but do you love your children? Do you sacrifice for your wife? Do you go across the street to, to talk to neighbors? Do you share the gospel with people? See what I'm saying? Like it's, it's not these mountaintop things. And, and, I, and again, those can happen. But, but what's scary is that those kinds of things can be falsified by the enemy. I mean, we see this in Scripture where like Moses has a staff and, and God puts the staff down and turns to a snake and the magicians, their staff can do the same thing. So we can get caught up in a bunch of stuff and like bells and whistles and fireworks and so forth, and it may be an illusion from the enemy. So how do I know that I, someone is a brother or sister in Christ? Do they forgive other people? Do they extend grace and mercy? Is there joy in their life, or is everything just compulsion and a burden and lack of joy? Like I was, I, I'd question it. I'd be like, man, I think you need to... Go back to the cross and reevaluate. The primary, the essential element of true Christian spirituality is ethical. Becoming more like Christ. In, uh, in the movie The Matrix, I've been in this movie quoting season for some reason. So last week was Star Wars. So I guess I'm a sci-fi geek. Um, in The Matrix... The first one, the good one. Um, you know, if you've seen the movie, if you haven't, don't go watch it. Um, Neo, he's been rescued out of the Matrix, right? And they bring him aboard the Nebuchadnezzar, the craft, and they restore him to health. And uh, he comes out of that, and, and he's the one that's going to rescue the people. And so they, they, they have to train him, and they, they jack him in plug him into the computer, and they start training him and start teaching him different martial arts, taekwondo, jiu-jitsu, and it's going on for a while, and he's like learning, all, like instantly just downloading how to, how to fight, which would be pretty cool, and uh, at one point, like the program comes in, and he opens his eyes like, whoa, I know kung fu, and Morpheus says, show me. That's Christianity. How do we know that Neo knew Kung Fu? 
He demonstrated it. It was displayed. How do I know that I know? From the time I was 13 till now, do I see God's hand at work in my life in such a way that I'm more like Christ today than I was then? That's how you know. And this is in, in the, the knowing happens only through the reading and the study of God's word in terms of it changing your life. Jesus says in John 17, uh, sanctify. He's praying to God the Father. He says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. In other words, the only way to grow in Christ's likeness is through the study of God's word through scripture. So this is why we say come to church because hopefully you get a little bit here. And this is why we say join a small group an A-team, so maybe you get a little bit there. This is why we say on your own, in the morning, the afternoon, the evening, whenever it is, read the Bible, open it up on your own, and just allow the truth of Scripture to do what it's supposed to do. And Ephesians 5 says that it washes us. It purifies us. Let it do the work that it's supposed to do. And over time, you become more like Christ. But I, I will dare to say that growing Christ's likeness cannot happen apart from his word. And if there's no growth, you can never, ever be assured that you are in right relationship with God. This is how you know. I'm, uh, I'm out of time. The last little bit of the text refers to the Holy Spirit um, coming in and convicting us of the fact that we belong to God confirming in us that we have are children of God, adopted into his family. And, and this is all I'll say about that. If you are a follower of Christ and God himself, the Holy Spirit, has ever convicted you, he is my father, I know it, I'm his child and I know it, and you have that sense of confidence. I can't describe that. I can't explain it. You just know what I'm talking about. If you've never experienced that, I would ask you to evaluate your life, your heart, because it may be that you can't know that because you have never embraced the gospel to begin with. So, and, and for a lot of us, that means entering a season where we literally have to stop and slow down, read the Bible, pray to God, help me out, Lord, I want to know. And it, it means um, getting some Christians around you and, and talking with them and having some honest conversations about your beliefs and your behavior, and just letting a season go by so that you can come out of it knowing, knowing, knowing that God loves you, that you're forgiven, and that when your days on earth come to an end, your days in heaven will begin. All right, so I'm going to ask everyone just to bow your head and close your eyes and just respond to the Lord how you need to. Do you know that you're in right relationship with him? Do you know that you are in the Spirit? Do you know that the Spirit is in you? Do you know that you belong to Christ? Do you know that you've been baptized into Christ? Do you know that God is working in your heart in such a way to grow you, to make you more like Jesus? And do you know that you're an adopted child of the Most Holy? If the answer is no to those, you can make the decision right now to embrace the gospel. Just confess your sinner, repent of it. God loves you. Throw yourself at the mercy of the cross and receive grace.
If you are a believer and you're struggling with just the assurance, ask for God's help. Just plead with him. And if you are a believer and you're not struggling with this issue, please, please, please help the rest of us so that we can know. What opportunities has God given you to witness to others, to minister, to teach us, to share in such a way that we also, all of us, can know that the world, everyone in the world, can know God the Father. we can know with full certainty and full assurance that we are in right relationship with you, that we've experienced your love, that we've received your grace. But Father, I pray that you would confirm that in us, in our daily walk of obedience, that we would walk according to your word. And thank you, Lord, that we're not left to do that on our own, Lord. The text right there says that it is by the Spirit that we put to, to death the deeds of the body, Lord. So we're not left unaided, Lord. I, I know we exercise our will and our discipline to the best of our ability, but at the end of the day, it's you doing it in us and through us, Lord. And I praise you for that because it is an impossibility on our own. I pray for any decisions being made right now in this room, Lord, I pray that you would bring strength and courage to those decisions. And we thank you for your grace by which we are bought out of the shackles of sin, Lord, and out of the flesh so that we may belong to you and experience your presence in our lives forever and ever. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, let's stand.